Dear loving Father in heaven, blessed be thy holy name, O Lord, for giving us the privilege to be among the living today. May our lives be the simple outworking of your will. We want to know you more. We pray that as we go through the words of our devotion, your spirit shall be graciously granted to every one of us, that we may behold Christ in a way that we have not beheld him before, that as we see him, our love for him will increase and we shall be imbued with his spirit. Help us, Father, put your words in my mouth and consecrate me to your service, Lord, that I may speak blessings to your children. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. That I may know him. March 1. Despised and rejected. He is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 3 How few have any conception of the anguish which rent the heart of the Son of God during his thirty years of life upon earth. The path from the manger to Calvary was shadowed by sorrow and grief. He was the man of sorrows and endured such heartache as no human language can portray. He could have said in truth, Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow. Lamentations chapter 1 verse 12 His suffering was the deepest anguish of the soul. And what man could have sympathy with the soul anguish of the Son of the infinite God? Hating sin with a perfect hatred, he yet gathered to his soul the sins of the whole world as he trod the path to Calvary, suffering the penalty of the transgressor. Guiltless, he bore the punishment of the guilty innocent yet offering himself to bear the penalty of the transgression of the law of God. The punishment of the sins of every soul was borne by the Son of the infinite God. The guilt of every sin pressed its weight upon the divine soul of the world's Redeemer. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In assuming the nature of man, he placed himself where he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, that by his stripes we might be healed. In his humanity, Christ was tried with as much greater temptation with as much more persevering energy than man is tried by the evil one, as his nature was greater than man's. This is a deep mysterious truth that Christ is bound to humanity by the most sensitive sympathies. The evil works, the evil thoughts, 
the evil words of every son and daughter of Adam press upon his divine soul. The sins of men called for retribution upon himself, for he had become man's substitute and took upon him the sins of the world. He bore the sins of every sinner, for all transgressions were imputed unto him. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 Amen The title of our devotion for today is Despised and Rejected And we have been looking at the life of Christ Especially the closing scenes And that's exactly what we are told I'll begin by taking that reading from Desire of Ages, page 83, paragraph 4. It says, It would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. We should take it point by point and let the imagination grasp each scene, especially the closing ones. As we thus dwell upon his great sacrifice for us, our confidence in him will be more constant our love will be quickened and we shall be more deeply imbued with his spirit if we would be saved at last we must learn the lesson of penitence and humiliation at the foot of the cross amen the title of our devotion is lifted from the bible passage a popular bible passage in isaiah 53 reading from verse 3 it says he is despised and rejected a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him he was despised and we esteemed him not it is true that when christ came to this earth we could see more clearly the despising of the physical person jesus christ like we read in our devotion it says that how few have any conception of the anguish which rent the heart of the son of god during his 30 years of life upon earth the path from the manger to calvary was shadowed by sorrow and grief he was a man of sorrows and endured such heartache as no human language can portray he could have said in truth behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow end of quote but i want to ask a question is it when Christ came to this earth that he became a man of sorrows that he started to feel the rejection of men? Most certainly not. Man has been rejecting God for a long, long time and the sorrow of God on this account has been felt by him for a long time also. In heaven, Holy angels were alienated from their maker by the sophistry of Satan. Angels who once united with holy joy in, to worship their creator became his worst and sworn enemies, not willing to reconcile with him. And what was the cause of all this? One proud, covetous, self-exalting angel who was seeking glory for himself. He was the cause. By whispering, backbiting evil speaking and evil surmising he caused the separation of very friends of a whole family slander is a curse anywhere it exists no wonder god is very particular about his hatred for lies and gossips 
lies. What have lies and propaganda not done to alienate friends, to bring about hatred, to bring about sorrow? People who were once in good relations by the unguarded tongue can cause alienation and separation and bring about sorrow, rejection. When did the rejection of God begin? Like I have just said, right from heaven. He has been despised and rejected. And this has caused him to be a man of sorrows. Just look at the language of God and you would understand when he expresses himself. After Satan caused alienation in heaven, the despising and rejection of God, imagine angels talking to their maker disrespectfully, not caring that he is their maker and even going as far as to fight against him. The Bible says there was war in heaven. Why would that war come about if he was not despised and rejected? It's one thing to reject him, but to look at someone with that disrespect where you despise the person, that's what Lucifer and the angels did. No respect for God whatsoever. They hate him. They despise his person and his character. But they did not stop there. In Genesis 3, reading from verse 1 to 6, we know the story of the fall of man and what Eve did. That was man now despising and rejecting God again. Eve despised God and rejected him at that point. When the devil told her to eat that fruit, what did, what did the serpent say to her? He said to her, Genesis 3, reading from verse 5, For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6 now. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Adam and Eve despised God and rejected him at this point. Through the lies of Satan once again, God was despised and rejected by men. And what a sorrow it brought to him. The question he asked to Eve can show you that God was suffering in his heart when he asked her, What is this that thou hast done? What is this that thou hast done? Well, might that question be asked to all of us today as we continue to despise and reject God. What is this that thou art doing? Despite that he was rejected and betrayed by men, God still will not give up. He chose to suffer the penalty for man's sins. He, pro he promised to man in, in the book of Genesis 3 there that he would bring about enmity between man and the serpent. Even after that promise made to man, he ins Satan inspired more rebellion. It was so painful and so bad that God had no choice but to begin again. Truly, when God says in Proverbs 6 verse 16 to 19, These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. You can understand why God hates this. He says a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, well, I'll say now, that spreadeth lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Who else does this than Satan? This is what brought about sin. These seven things that are listed here. You will understand why God says, I hate them. They are an abomination to me. Because it is through these things that Satan brought about alienation between God and his people. 
he broke the whole family of God and brought about division. But Satan did not stop at bringing man down. Later on, God had to begin again in Genesis 6 verse 5 to 7. Just look at the language of God here when man had decided to go farther and farther into sin. It says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. Verse 12 and 13 says, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, and you can imagine God saying this, not in annoyance, but in that sorrow, full of sorrow and grief. You can see that he used that language. It grieved him. God said to Noah, the end of all flesh is come. In other words, I have tried. There's nothing I can do again. The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. This is sorrow here being expressed. Several times after this, the people kept rejecting God. Genesis 11 verse 1 to 5 is the account of the people who built the Tower of Babel. Why did they build it? They said to themselves, let us build a tower, that's verse 4, whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. That was their reason. They were basically saying, we don't want God in our lives and we want to build this star in rebellion against God in case he comes again to attack us. We want to protect ourselves from him. Why would you want to do that? Because you rejected him and rejected his ways. After this, God called Abraham, giving him wonderful and endearing promises. It was not long after that Satan inspired rebellion in the children of Jacob. They distrusted God like Eve and Adam. They charged him with motives foreign to his nature. When God brought them out of Egypt, what did they say? They accused him that he brought them to the wilderness to kill them, their wives and their children. They tried to kill Joshua and Caleb. As much as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me, says the Lord. It was God they were rejecting, not Caleb. They also tried to kill Moses and Aaron. That was a rejection of God. Again, they hated him. They despised his laws and his statutes. They hated his ways with a deep hatred. All these were inspired by Satan. But God still bore long with them. He forgave them. He brought them to the land he promised. But they later rejected him again in not following his instructions. They said they didn't want him as their king. That was such a sorrowful day. Samuel, who was the judge of Israel at that time, was shocked by this bold rejection of God and he wept. In 1 Samuel 8 verse 7 to 9, it says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, this is when Israel rejected, um, rejected God and, and re requested for a king. It says, The Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. 
according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, on even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of king that shall reign over them. Now Samuel went ahead and protested. He told them the consequences of their, de- of their decision, but they will not listen. In verse 19 down to 22, it says there, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us, and go out before us, and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of these people, and he, he, he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto their voice, and make them a king. And Samuel said unto the man, men of Israel, Go ye every man unto his own city. You know, later on, Samuel impressed on them more deeply what they had done in rejecting and despising God. First Samuel chapter 12, verse 18 to 25 says, So Samuel called unto the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not. For we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask us a king. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not. You have done all this wickedness. Yet turn not aside from following the Lord. But serve the Lord with all your heart, and turn you not aside, for then should you go after vain things which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people, O merciful, wonderful, glorious, good and loving God. After all this rejection, what did Samuel say? For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. After they have done all this to him in rejecting and despising him, yet what is God's mind towards them? I will not forsake them for my name's sake, because it had pleased the Lord to make you his people. And Samuel continued saying, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he has done for you. But if you shall still do wickedly, you shall be consumed, both you and your king. Amen. I'm going through all of this for us to understand. We can resonate. You know, when you say Jesus was despised and rejected, you may feel like I was not there and I'm not part of those who rejected God. But no, we need to understand that the despising and rejecting of God and Jesus Christ is not something that began or only happened when Jesus was here on earth. It's happening even right now. Many of us have despised and rejected God by rejecting His ways. And it has been happening since Lucifer did it in heaven, even Adam did it on earth, and God's people, Israel, have been doing it over and over again till finally the message has come to the Gentiles and the whole world and many are still rejecting God. You see, when Samuel protested to the people saying, I will continue to pray for you, and even telling them that even though you have rejected God, God will not forsake you. He will continue to help you. But he warned them, fear the Lord, serve him in truth with all your heart, because if you do wickedly, you will be consumed. And that was exactly what happened. The Israelites and their kings did not obey. They did wickedly. They utterly rejected God. In words of heart-rending anguish, the Lord lamented the state of his people through his prophets. He lamented 
the state of those who had rejected him. From the days when they entered Canaan, they had been rejecting him, and it had never gone well with them, until today it shall not be well with those who reject God and his laws. Through the prophet Isaiah, in reading Isaiah 1 verse 21 to 23, you hear how God complains of this rejection. He says, How is the faithful city become an harlot? It was full of judgment, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. The silver is become dross, thy wine mixed with water, thy princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts and followeth after rewards. They judge not the fatherless, neither doth the cause of the widow come unto them. Why is this a problem to God? Because it is in doing these things that we reject God. Hosea 4 verse 6 God explains what it means to reject him. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou should be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I also will forget thy children. This is something we need to understand. When we say we are despising and rejecting God, it is not in the person it's because we don't have Jesus before us today. We have not seen God at any time. But rejecting the laws of God, rejecting his statutes, despising it, hating it. If somebody comes to tell you, this is what the word of God says as to how you should live your life and you are disgusted. Do you know what your disgust is? You're actually despising God. If you hate the commandments of God and you hate those who are telling you this is what you should do, this is how you should dress, and you hate it with deep hatred, what do you think you are doing? It's God you are hating. It's Him you are despising. It's a strange thing that people who had a God that did so many mighty wonders for them, that's the Israelites, who reject their own God to have other gods, to leave the laws that give life for mere fables. But God did not give up. He tried again and again. Jeremiah 2, reading from verse 1, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals. When thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown, Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the fruits of his increase, all that devour him shall offend, evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Now hear this, this is God talking as a man of sorrows. Jeremiah 2 verse 5, God wants to ask a question, he said, Thus says the Lord, and take this per question to yourself personally. What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and have become vain? Neither said they, Where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through, and where no man dwelt. And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. The priest said not, Where is the Lord? And they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Wherefore I will yet plead with you. Oh, such a polite and loving God and respectful God. God respects man to the point that he's pleading with man. He says, I will yet plead with you, says the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. 
You know, some people say, oh, God of the Old Testament was this and that. He was wicked and harsh. He punishes people immediately. You've not read it. You've not read the Old Testament. And I think another problem is that in the churches, when children are taught about God, the people pick and choose stories to tell. And they don't really express the true character of God to children. So people grow up believing, oh, God is this God that punishes people immediately. This is God here who says, I will plead with you. That is God. Verse 10, he says, For pass over the isles of Chittim and see and send unto Kedar and consider diligently and see if there be such a thing. As a nation changed her gods, which are no gods, but my people have changed their glory. That is, they have despised God. They have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They rejected him again and again. They killed his prophets and banished them. But even after this, God still worked to see how he can save them. But brothers and sisters, I cannot go further than to remind us. As I'm reading through Jeremiah 2, I cannot but remember that the Christian church of today, these words can be said about us, especially those who claim to be God's commandment-keeping people. We need to ask ourselves the questions, what iniquity did you find in God that we have gone far from him, walked in vanity, and we have become vain? And many will say, oh no, we have re- not, we've not rejected him. That was how Israel of the past also said, no, we have not rejected God. But God was telling them, go, look at your ways. You have rejected me. Today, the church doesn't like the things of God anymore. They bring the worldly practices into the church. They want to do everything the world is doing. The ways of God, they know not. They don't want to know. They hate it. And in doing all of this, what are we doing? We are despising and rejecting God. But then, when we go back to that of Israel, even though they did all these things to him, God bore patiently with them, and then he came down himself. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. But what was the testimony in God's word when Christ came down? John 1 verse 10 to 12. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Amen. You see, God loved men so much that he challenged the priest. When Jesus came down here, it was in love he did those things. He challenged the priests and rabbis by merely giving them the truth. He gave the truth to the people. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cleansed the levers. Many rejoiced at his presence. He raised the dead son of a widow, her only child. She was in sorrow and he gave her joy. There was a girl who he raised from the dead. That's the one he said to her, Talita Kumi. The nobleman's son, he healed. The Syrophoenician woman had her child healed. The centurion had his servant healed. The woman with the issue of blood was healed. The demoniac, oh, that demoniac, he saved him. He rescued him. That man was so grateful. He cleansed the ten lepers at the time. He saved the adulterous woman from the hypocritical mob who wanted to kill her. He fed 5,000 and 4,000 at different times. This was what Jesus was doing when he was here on earth. It was in love, but yet 
in John 10 verse 30 to 33, after doing all of this, when Jesus said, I and my father are one, what happened? He says, the Jews took up stones to stone him. Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, for a good work we stoned thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou being a man makest thyself God. And I asked the question, what? Can you not see that none but he that is God can do these things that he did? Even if he didn't say he was God, is it not obvious that the person who did all these things, even Jesus himself said, even if you won't believe me, that I, because I'm saying it, believe me for the very work's sake, that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He was rejected by men even after all the good things he did. Why? We can sing it like that in that song that says, Why? What has my Lord done? What makes this rage and spite? He made the lame to walk. He gave the blind their sight. Yet cheerful he to suffering goes, that he his foes from fence might free. They eventually took Jesus and killed him. You know the story. But how do we apply this to ourselves? Till today, Jesus is still rejected and despised in the person of his saints and in his law. There's no better way to reject God than to reject his word. Has anybody come to preach to you telling you the word of God says this or that and you are angry with the person for telling you, for example, how to dress? For example, telling you that you are supposed to keep the Sabbath day holy or telling you that this is not right for you to perhaps watch these kind of things because the word of God says you shouldn't watch it or listen to this kind of thing or music or participate in any practice at all that the word of God condemns and you look at the person in contempt, in annoyance and you're angry with the person because the person is rebuking you. You know, that's how Cain looked at Abel to the point that he killed him. But who was it that Abel, well, that Cain was killing? Was he Abel? It was actually God. He despised God. That was why he did what he did. There are still many Jews and Gentiles today who are rejecting God. But he will come in his glory someday. We will all see him, even those who pierced him. Those Jews who till date call him a malefactor and criminal will one day see him on his throne. And what will you say in that day? Those who have been rejecting God, all who share the same views as those Jews too, claiming that Jesus was a mere Jew who tried to raise an insurrection against the Romans and was rightly killed for all his trouble. I've heard someone say that. I don't want to mention his name. But I've heard a popular Jew say that. Jesus was just a malefactor who was killed for all his trouble because he stood against the Romans. Such careless, disrespectful and very very inconsistent words what will you say in the day when jesus will come with great power and glory to judge the world all mouths will be stopped on that day there will be no rejection but all will fall on their knees and say blessed is he that cometh in the name of the lord if you believe he raised an insurrection against the romans show how he did that where is the evidence of that there's no such thing there's no such evidence everyone agrees that he never taught anything violent or did anything violent how inconsistent then to say that Jesus raised an insurrection against the Romans. That is just a convenient way for you to excuse the sin of your fathers. But in excusing it, you become a partaker of the sin with them. You didn't kill Jesus. I'm referring to those Jews today who are saying that you, you were not there. You didn't kill Jesus. But why are you making excuses for those who did it? It only makes you complicit. It makes you a part of them. 
but Jesus will not be rejected forever and ever. And those who are his followers will not be despised and rejected forever. We read in that I may know him, page 66, paragraph 2. The punishment of the sins of every soul was borne by the Son of the infinite God. The guilt of every sin pressed its weight upon the divine soul of the world's Redeemer. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In assuming the nature of man, he placed himself where he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, that by his stripes we might be healed. Amen. This is what God did for us. And we need to understand the sorrow that Jesus passed through and what he, he is still passing through now. But at that time when Jesus was here on earth, it was not like I was saying that he raised an insurrection against the Romans that made them kill him. No, that was not the case. There's no such evidence. But that's what many Jews are saying today. But rather, he was bearing the sins of the whole world. And you can imagine what that means. That every sin, it says there that every evil word that is spoken and every evil act that we do, every one of those things press upon Jesus. Every one of them with their guilt and See, you cannot understand that as a human being. You can only just think about it like this. Every sin has its weight and its weight of guilt and punishment. Every single one. Now imagine my life. Let me use my life. Since I was a child, every sin I have ever committed, each one of them have their separate weight. You won't just say, oh, my sins or oh, just one. No, no. Each one of the sins, every word I have spoken and you also, every act that we have done, that is wrong. Every one of these things pressed upon Jesus. And that's why he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He bore the sins of the whole world. What Jesus felt at that time when bearing the sins of the whole world and dying on the cross. You know, it was the sins that killed him. It was not the crucifixion. He was trying to help us. But people are despising and rejecting him. You go and tell people today, present to them about, to present to them Jesus, the Savior, telling them somebody has died for your sins. He took it upon himself. And many, there are many who will just, please don't talk to me. They will be like, don't talk to me. I don't want to hear about it. Well, one day you will hear about it. If you don't hear it today, you will listen later. Because what Christ is trying to save you from, that he, is, he was a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief if you despise and reject him you get what you looked for which is the sin he's trying to bear for you you are going to bear it for yourself what Jesus felt what he experienced on the cross he did it for those who would at least accept him but if we don't we'll bear our sins ourselves testimonies volume 2 page 210 paragraph 1 says Christ felt much as sinners will feel when the vials of God's wrath shall be poured out upon them. Black despair like the pall of death will gather about their guilty souls, and then they will realize to the fullest extent the sinfulness of sin. Salvation has been purchased for them by the suffering and death of the Son of God. It might be theirs if they would accept of it willingly, gladly. But none are compelled to yield obedience to the law of God. If they refuse the heavenly benefit and choose the pleasures and deceitfulness of sin, they have their choice and at the end receive their wages, which is the wrath of God and eternal death. 
they will be forever separated from the presence of Jesus, whose sacrifice they have despised. They will have lost a life of happiness and sacrificed eternal glory for the pleasures of sin for a season. In page 213, paragraph 1, it says, Considering at what an immense cost our salvation has been purchased, what will be the fate of those who neglect so great salvation? What will be the punishment of those who profess to be followers of Christ yet fail to bow in humble obedience to the claims of their Redeemer? And what do not and who do not take the cross as humble disciples of Christ and follow him from the manger to Calvary? He that gathereth not with me, says Christ, scattereth abroad. In Maranatha, page 271, paragraph 6, it says, In the time when God's judgments are falling without mercy, oh, how enviable to the wicked will be the position of those who abide in the secret place of the Most High, the pavilion in which the Lord hides all who have loved Him and have obeyed His commandments. My brothers and sisters, we despise and reject God today by rejecting His law and His ways and rejecting Him, not believing in Him as our sin pardoning Savior. But if we believe in Him, then we need to change our ways. We need not reject His ways and His laws. If we reject it, we are rejecting Him. But Jesus is trying to save us from something that is coming, which is the wrath of God. And if we would accept Him instead of despising Him, we will save ourselves the trouble of having to bear the penalty of our sins because Jesus has already borne it for us so we don't need to bear it ourselves. So let us accept Jesus today and not reject him. And when I say accept Jesus, it's not just to say I believe in him. It is by accepting his words. Luke 6 verse 46, Jesus said, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We need to do the things he says. That's how we accept Jesus. When we reject his word, we reject him. And I pray that God will help us. Do not despise his word when you hear it. Do not reject it because you reject God when you do that. Accept it wholeheartedly. Practice the truth as it is in Jesus. This is how you accept him and not despise him. And this is how you save yourself from the wrath that is to come. Let us pray. Dear loving Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the blessings of your word you've given us today. I pray that these words will be deeply impressed in the hearts of your children. The Bible passages, the quotes, every word, Lord, may it have its weight on us. Forgive us for despising your words, for rejecting your words, for rejecting those and despising those who have come to give us the word of God. For in doing so, we realize today that we have been despising and rejecting you, causing you sorrow and grief. Forgive us for these things. Have mercy upon us. Do not forsake us. And give us grace that as we commit ourselves to you, believing in you as our sin-pardoning Savior, we will not just stop at believing in our minds, but that we will also accept your word into our lives, that it may transform us into the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Do this and take the glory. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. This message was brought to you by the angel with a strong voice a ministry dedicated to preparing people to stand true to God and be ready for His imminent return. For more information and free online resources, please visit www.tawas.org that is www.tawasv.org or contact info at tawas.org.